I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and joining me on the other line, she's in the house. Literally, it's your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. What's up, scuzz butts? <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is episode 251 of the Geek Down Podcast. If you would like to listen to any of our other 250 episodes, I'll put some golden chimes in there. 250. That's right, y'all. We did that shit. Put up them numbers. Like MJ in Game 5. Bam! Yeah. 250. <laughs> Go to wherever you get your audio content. Be that Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, Stitcher, probably others. I'm sure there are others out there. You get your janky Windows phone or a Zoom or some shit, and you're still trying to listen to this hot content. I'm sure there's something you use, and we're probably there, too. Wherever you get it, give us a rate, review, follow, subscribe, thumbs up. All are appreciated. Makes it easier for people to find the show, pushes us up in the old algorithms, and also means that you will never miss a new episode of the Geek Down Podcast, because new episodes will be brought to you, delivered on the back of a rainbow mane alicorn named Philip by your mans... Chauncey, Rastelicus, the third, Geek Down Internet Elf. Oh my god, girl, he just loves to deposit those episodes directly into your device. You don't have to do a goddamn thing. It's what he loves to do. Friends, this is going to be a very compact episode. If you would like to complain about how compact the episode is going to be, you can hit us up on twitter.com slash geekdownpod. That is where the show lives. On the social meds. Get up off Twitter. And if you would like to entice us to do a less compact episode, as per usual, maybe you want to throw three bucks in the old tip jar at ko-fi.com slash geekdownpod. Three bucks. That's it. And I can buy a bookcase. Be like, what are these 45-minute episodes? Get the fuck out of here. We don't come here for that. We come here for sprawling, <laughs> wandering, meandering shows that go an hour and 20 minutes. Well. But... But we can't do that right now. We can't do that right I got now. Boxes to, I got boxes to put to, put away. I have books to stack precariously because I don't have appropriate bookshelves. See, see though, are you like me in the unpacking phase? Do you go to the fun shit first? No, all my fun shit needs – I don't have a place for it. Oh, my God. I know. I All my stationery is in boxes, <laughs> my wrapping stuff, my books. Bo- boxes, plural, y'all. The stationery is in boxes, plural. <laughs> You know what, George? I just want to call that one out there for y'all. It's a little deep cut. You know maybe what, it went over your head. Maybe you missed it. Mm. You know what, Jordan? Hmm? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Can you fit your records into a box? Yes. A storage unit, the sort of which are found <laughs> on loading docks. Where nautical, where nautical transport takes place. Uh, uh, I feel like... We've talked a lot about merch over the years. I really feel yes. like we just need to put out the, you know what, Jordan, go fuck yourself shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if anything's been a catchphrase on this program over the past I have, four years, I have a it's list. been that. I have a list. 
of of shirts I want <laughs> that no one will get except for there's like five people in the world will get except what the shirt says. You, me, someone cute, Chocobo Frappe on Twitter, uh, Kira, and maybe Travis or Kozak. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Um, so yeah, friends, uh, this is going to be somewhat compact. Like we said, Kate's, Kate's, Kate has someone, Kate has, uh, <laughs> Hamilton's version of Marie Kondo coming over to help her <laughs> deal with this situation at the new house. Um, so she was like, I got to be out by five. I said, cool. Three to five. Let's bang this out. And Kate was like, you want to call a little earlier? We get the chatting out of the way. I said, cool. It's two forty in the afternoon. We'll talk for 20 minutes and then we'll get into the episode. It is three fifty six currently. <laughs> So, no one was surprised, but, like I said, compact episode. Might even be, I'd kind of also, like, run over some edits I felt coming on. I just kind of, like, I barreled through them. Yeah. Try to make this the first episode I don't have to edit. I just have to put drops in. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. It would be unheard of, and it's not going to happen, but (laughs) it's nice to think. But we can try. It's nice to think about. Uh, friends, there's not much in the way of news. We looked, there are two things I want to talk about briefly. And one thing that's sort of adjacent to updates. Uh, so I'll do mine first. Kate, do you have anything? Do I need to throw to you after this is done or? I only have two things okay. and they're very Caitlin. They're very, they're very Caitlin. They are about antiques so roadshow. prepare yourselves. About antiques roadshow and whatever the old lady, uh, English version of Rosolian Isles is. It's shows. Rosemary and Time. <laughs> Rosemary and Time. That's why I was confusing it. I'm like, it's not Rosoli and Isles, but it's very similar. Um, this morning, I sent Kate a some some contextual paragraphs, and then I sent her a video. The worst kept secret in wrestling happened last night. This was the return of beloved pro wrestler Chick Magnet Punk. Chicago made Punk depends on. His age and maturity, what it stands for. But CM Punk made his return to the wrestling world on All Elite Wrestling's program Rampage. This is their second weekly television show. Uh, They started with Dynamite, which airs on Wednesdays. And then Dynamite's been so successful that they have branched out. And now they have the second show on Friday nights at 10 p.m., which is kind of a no-man's land for televised programming. But... That was always the, like, you know, you home alone, you got no plans. You watching Criminal Intent at 10 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> okay, no, don't come hey, for me, hey, okay? Hey, no shots. I, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing when I said it. And you know, No shots for shots. You, I get it. You know, you know how I knew that? How? Because me. <laughs> how would I know that Criminal Intent was on at 10 p.m. on a Friday? <laughs> Electric Circus only ran till 10, Kate. <laughs> You watch Electric Circus from like eight thirty till ten, <laughs> or or you don't. You 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 stare at it for maybe a minute, and then you quickly find something else how, on A and E. How was I going to stay up on what was popping in the club if I wasn't watching <laughs> Electric Circus every week? DJ Mark uh, DJ Mark Farina playing the latest Acid Jazz hits. Um. <laughs> oh, welcome everyone to. To Toronto talk. <laughs> super, Toron- super Toronto talk. I didn't even live in Toronto then, but I like watched Electric Circus religiously. I remember Electric Circus when it was on at like 3.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon. Ooh. That was rough. Friends, uh, context, Electric Circus was a uh, like an American bandstand, Soul Train type show, you know, whatever. But it was like 
pop, but also super like club focused, which was weird, especially when it was on at three thirty in the afternoon. Cause like go club, go, go dancers would be like performing in the front windows of <laughs> what was then the chum city building and is now a soulless, uh, bell media building. But, yeah. um, back then, Shit was bumping. Britney Spears had her first Canadian televised appearance on Electric Circus. Fun fact. No, really? Real talk. Yep. Oh. The three thirty oh. p.m. version, I think. It wasn't even. It wasn't even after they uh, went on to much music. Um, oh. Anyway, that's way too much to talk about Electric Circus. But <laughs> uh, back to CM Punk. Yes, CM Punk um, was a. He came up from the Indies and Ring of Honor and promotions like that, and then he goes to the WWE. Does not always have the best time of it. Every time he would kind of get a decent angle going, he always really had to fight for it, for his place on the card, because he wasn't the biggest guy. Um, He was more of like a submission technician guy. Um, He wasn't a Hulk like John Cena, you know. But I don't know, his contract was coming up. I don't know the context behind it, but basically there was a point where they let him go out at the end of a show and say whatever he wanted. And he basically went out and did a promo, which then got called the pipe bomb. This is, if you look up pipe bomb promo, you will find this promo. He just sat at the top of the stage and just said a lot of shit that people had already kind of thought in private stuff. That's like kind of cute now to think about, you know, the WWE, but back then like seven, 10 years ago, whatever. And I'd like to think, that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. I I I have actually, well, you sent me his speech, or at least a part of it, uh, way back when. The pipe bomb? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I think it was yeah. I think it was just like you know, random wrestling moment, random infamous wrestling moments. Um, But what made this nuts was he then went into a title program with John Cena and publicly announced his contract was up. He's like, my con, you know, whatever pay-per-view at midnight that night, my contract's done. So I'm taking that title and I'm bouncing. And it made a very exciting type of thing to watch. And it's like, what? No, what? They won't actually do it. Again, we all know it's a work, right? But it's like, what are they playing at here? Would they actually do that? Would they actually let him win with no contract on like good faith? You remember the Montreal screw job? There's no way the same guy who orchestrated the Montreal screw job would ever let this happen. Um, mm-hmm. But they did it. Punk beat Cena. Huge pop, you know, whatever. Infamous image of Punk grabbing the title, hopping the barricade, blowing a kiss, and like running out of the building. Um, <laughs> and then that summer, he just wasn't around. He had signed a new deal, obviously, but he wasn't around. He They kept him off television. He would show up at, you know, Comic-Con and go to the WWE panel with the title and be like, you know, obviously then they tried to like start a new title or whatever. And punk would be like, you know, that's not the real title, right? Like, no, this is my, t- it was the summer of punk. He just wasn't around. And then they brought him back, uh, obviously. And he was just a really compelling character on the mic, but he got burnt out really bad. He basically walked away about a year after all of this. Nobody really knew why or anything. And then he goes on his then best friend, a guy named Colt Cabana goes on his podcast and, airs out everything to a degree that like we were like woo okay you want some tea like you want some wrestling tea how he was working hurt how he was never really you know his his 
pain was never really taken seriously or they would just like slap something called a Z pack on his back. And we know from the dark side of the ring, how, how this is a problem. And the other, I mean, the only thing, I mean, fuck it. Saving grace was probably that he's straight edge, like really in his personal life. So he probably would stay clear of like opiates and painkillers and stuff like that. Um, but it was bad. And he just like walked away and was like, "Eh -eh. Nope, no more. And he fucked around with Ultimate Fighting for a while and, you know, commentating and a little acting here and there and a little comic writing because he's a huge fan. He always said it's clobbering time when he came out to the ring. Um, basically, ever since he left, especially when AEW started getting getting some momentum, people were like, well, can he even wrestle anymore? Does he want to wrestle? Could they get him? And suddenly, with this second show, and they were doing a huge show in Chicago, and Tony Khan, the guy behind AEW, basically came out and said, the biggest surprise in the history of this company is happening at that show and it will change everything. So people were like, Oh, it's going to be CM Punk. Um, but until it happened, I don't think people believed it. And I don't know where in the show it fell. Probably just opened it. Like the show probably started. And I sent Kate the like actual him coming out. Cause I know Kate loves a good wrestling pop. And it, it was legitimately, I've been watching wrestling to varying degrees of dedication for 20 years now or at least paying attention to the headlines and what was happening. And I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that. Right. When he came out, the closest thing is when he won the title and left with it. Um, I thought edge returning at the Royal rumble a couple years ago when nobody thought edge could wrestle again. And he just turned up and his reaction to what he got from the crowd I thought that was like the best return moment I'd ever seen. And punks blew that out of the water. Like yeah. his, his theme song, you know, he's always used cult of personality by living color as a theme song. And you know, that hit and the fucking roar from everybody who knew he was going to be there anyway. But like, until he came out, I still don't think they believed it. Mm-hmm. And just the whole thing, he comes down, he, Tears in his eyes. He's hugging people in the crowd. He jumps into the crowd at one point, like, and just looks genuinely moved. Because the other thing is, his name kind of became, his gimmick was kind of the voice of the voiceless. So every time his, chanting his name became synonymous for, we don't fuck with what's happening in the ring right now. Right. If something was happening at a WWE show that you didn't like, a CM Punk chart chant would start. To the, he'd been gone for like seven years. 2,766 days. Somebody had a sign in the crowd. That's how long it had been since CM Punk was on a wrestling show. And for all that time, they still chanted his name. That, that, but just like that, as we know, there are like parts of wrestling I really like and parts that I could leave behind. But that, like, mythos, like, that's really powerful. And thankfully, somebody recognized it. <laughs> You know, we, we have our problems with the WWE and Vince McMahon not recognizing things when they're right in front of him. Thank goodness somebody recognized that. And, like, one of the genius moves, just su- such a nice thing, was, like, you know, he gets out there and he cuts this promo. And I didn't really know what they were talking about. He must have said this during commercial break or they cut it out of the YouTube thing. Um, he's always been synonymous with ice cream bars. Cause in the pipe bomb promo, I think he mentioned something about like, I'm never going to have, you know, where's my ice cream bar. Like basically saying he's not getting the merchandise opportunities because he doesn't play nice. You know, somebody like John Cena, 
he gets the cups, he gets the Burger King cups, he gets the, his face on the, you know, whatever, because he sucked, he kissed Vince McMahon's ass. And to be saying that, which is something everyone was starting to think about Cena anyway, but for somebody to come out and say it, it was like, Burr. um, so ice cream bars have always been kind of synonymous with him. And when the show was over, it was only an hour show. Um, when the show was over, they had punks like, when you leave here tonight, enjoy a free ice cream bar on me. <laughs> and they just oh, had shit. all these like customized, you know, chocolate covered, you know, Rebello ice cream bars or whatever. Um, with like, you know, CM Punk branding on the wrapper type of thing. And he said he took his inspiration from, I saw it, I watched an interview afterwards. He said he took his inspiration, whoever won, whoever the manager or whatever, the key player, when the Cubs won, won the world series, um, he went, <laughs> I love how we're like, we really, sports. we tell we're nerds. Cause we're just like sports, sports, team. sports, sports. Someone, someone cute is screaming right now. I'm sure. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but someone in the Cubs organization, whether it was a player or a manager, I don't know. Went around Chicago opening tabs and saying, you know, drinks are on me throughout the city. Like, thank you for for your belief in the team and in me type of thing. And that was punk with the ice cream bars. He was like, you know, I always heard you. You know, you never stopped. And I always heard it's you. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and honestly, the be- the best part was watching that, like, you know, post-show media zoom scrum or whatever and watching punk and Tony Khan sitting next to him. Tony Khan is just a rich Mark. He's just a rich guy who loves wrestling so much. The look on his face, the goofy smile he had on his face never went away. Right. Like he just legitimately loves it. And it's one of the WWE's biggest shows tonight like SummerSlam, John Cena versus Roman Reigns, like that's happening tonight. Right. I, no, nobody cares. They'll care when it happens, but currently, no. only the right. only thing anybody's talking about is Punk coming to AEW. So, what a is a, is a wild time to be a wrestling fan. And it was just, I didn't think moments like that were still capable of happening whether it was social media or the lack of surprise or whatever, or just, you know, the general cynicism of the public, but just like that was some genuine shit to watch from him, from the crowd, from the announcers, like just everything. And I did not think you could have moments like that in pro wrestling anymore. And that was super dope thing to watch. Uh, he's going to wrestle Darby Allen, young, young up and comer Darby Allen, one of the young superstars of AEW. And he's probably going to take that, you know, old hand role where he just, you know, makes these young guys look like superstars. So that when he can't wrestle anymore, that's, that's the job. I mean, the job is you have your time. And then when, you know, you're kind of entering your sunset years as a pro wrestler, you do what you can. That's the business, right? You do what you can to put over the young guys so that when you can't go anymore, they're in a position to keep things going. You know? So he's got a... Punk says he's got a list of people he can't work to can't wait to work with. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that the first words out of Punk's mouth were, you guys really know how to make someone feel like Britt Baker in Pittsburgh. Britt Baker is the current AEW women's champion. And she had a, you know, 
the show was in Pittsburgh, her hometown, the week previous, and obviously she got a huge ovation when she came out. But for the first thing he says in seven years is putting over the women's champion. That ain't nothing. And that was deliberate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's waiting for what he's going to say. And the first thing he does is put her over. And that's a plus class move. I thought so. I'm excited for wrestling, Kate. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, what was one of your things that you wanted to mention? Your very Caitlin things. Um, the first is, well, it's really fast. It's just, I mean, everyone who has ever listened to the show probably knows that I'm like LeVar Burton for Jeopardy (laughs) and also LeVar Burton for president. (laughs) Like I just, besides my like association with the, my love of Star Trek and, you know, TNG. Um, and also like reading rainbow was very important and you cannot deny like roots was a very impactful show. It might Mm. not be something we talk about as much these days, but it was one of the first of that type of show of its kind. Um, and yeah, anyways, so I just, I think LeVar Burton, I don't understand how he wasn't the immediate choice. Like they've been talking, LeVar Burton mentioned hosting Jeopardy way before Alex Trebek passed away, or I think was even sick. Yeah, like he, he was, said, like, he was kind of, dream job. he was kind of openly gunning <laughs> for the job. He put his yeah, name, put which his name I think, there. I think that's great. And then like Ryan Reynolds has just posted something, um, like he worked with LeVar Burton as like a spokesperson for Ryan Reynolds has a gin and oh, right, right, right. he tapped LeVar Burton to do like a promo <laughs> Amazing. Um, and be the spokesperson. And he, I would just read the tweet from Ryan Reynolds, which was um, pretty consistently from 2013 to 2015, Deadpool would explode on Twitter with fans wanting me to play him. It was awkward because I agreed with them, but the studio studio didn't see it. Ultimately the fans won and the rest is glorious history. I'm forever grateful. Hi, at LeVar Burton. So (laughs) obviously we know what Ryan Reynolds is saying. And I think it would be, I mean, he just, he's got that Mr. Rogers vibe, uh, LeVar Burton. Like he, and he has that educational background. He's always tried to, you know, make sure that kids were exposed to, to books and education. And I just think he's, he's a dad. I just think that like, (laughs) it's a, it's, it's really good to, to have him in that role. Uh, Anyway. So what Kate's referring to is the uh, ongoing saga of the Jeopardy host. Um, oh they, yeah, I they, guess I should have I should have mentioned that. No, it's fine. Uh, they've had a ro- listen. I'm but- the color Jordan. <laughs> I know that's good. Sometimes the color just gets everywhere, and you got to kind of. I'm just I'm just pinning it in. I'm yeah. just making I'm just making a I'm just making a a little you know, paint by numbers. Yeah, I'm just making a paint. You know, I'm just making a drawing out of all this beautiful color that you're throwing out. Um, ever since Trebek has passed away, there has been a rotating guest host. There have been newscasters and actors and occasionally athletes or former contestants and champions on the show and your man LeVar Burton. And then, after all that, it was kind of announced out of nowhere that the executive producer was going to host and share hosting du- Mike, duties. Yeah, Mike, Mike Richards. With, uh, with Mayim Bialik. And most people kind of went, okay. Sure, I guess. And uh, that lasted about, how long was it, Kate? <laughs> Oh, maybe an hour. <laughs> I was going to give it a full day, but I think I think it was like a couple hours before someone was like, "Has have any of the executives? I mean, he's an executive himself, but like, have has anybody who who 
how have any of the people making this decision actually checked out this like apparently this podcast you used to have a podcast this, like, yeah drama that had gone on and like accusations about things he'd said and and you know trying to get um uh the prices right like models like fired after they got pregnant like like there's all this stuff and even if you take the accusations aside and you're like okay those are just accusations and you just look at the podcast like he'd said some pretty disparaging things on the podcast um so yeah not maybe He's the just, you know, try- dad of america you yeah want. i mean he was just he was doing edgelord shit i mean to be fair we gave james gunn a pass for doing edgelord shit back in the day but james gunn is trying to make irreverent movies not be like you know one of america's dads <laughs> like kate yeah. said like like, it's a different thing you're trying to do, and maybe, you know, I'm not saying the dude should get canceled or you should never have a job again, but maybe this is not your occupation yeah. when you've got that in your, you know, in your backstory. So, yeah, he has already stepped down. I regret the thing I did. And uh, the hunt continues, and I concur with Kate. I did not see all of LeVar's week. I saw, I saw the first episode, or most of the first episode, and... Most people kind of assessed it correctly where he seemed a little nervous and the hosts and the, sorry, the contestants seemed a little nervous. I don't know if he smoothed out over the week. I mean, it was his first time and it's been his dream job and he's wanted to do it for like, he wanted a shot at doing that forever. It's been like a bucket list thing. Oh, I really, yeah. peaked, I really peaked that. Sorry, I got to say it again. It was a real bucket list thing for him. So, I mean, of course he's going to be nervous. Um, even like a month on the job, is he going to smooth out? Yeah, probably. He's fucking LeVar Burton. Like, so, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Ryan Reynolds is right. Yeah. You don't have to trust the fans on everything. Be very careful with that. But, you know, sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're right. One, the second I thing I had written down as a news story, which I just saw uh, yesterday. Kate, are you excited for a Black Canary solo? Uh, yeah. Film project. I, um, I haven't made you watch um, Birds of Prey. You have not. Uh and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, it is a great movie, and that will definitely come up next month for cin- Cinematic September. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, she was great in it, and I'm really excited that she's getting her own um, her own movie and about who is, of course, writing that movie. Yes, yeah, so this is starring Journey Smollett, who... That's probably why Kate knew who she was before Lovecraft Country. I had not seen her before Lovecraft Country and went, excuse me, who is that? Why have I never seen her before? And uh, she was in Birds of Prey playing Dinah Lance. And now she's going to reprise the role in this film project, which is going straight to HBO Max, I think, and is reuniting her with the Lovecraft Country. That's such a hard word to say. With the Lovecraft Country showrunner. Misha Green, who is writing, if not directing. She might just be writing. Um, and, yeah, all bodes very well. Yeah. And whatever keeps... And, and, like, people don't realize, but Misha Green has amazing credits to her name. She wrote for Sons of Anarchy and Heroes, Spartacus, um, Underground, which aired a little while ago, and uh, is actually uh, writing the t- uh, Tomb Raider sequel which I did not realize they were making, but hurrah. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. What was your second thing? Please be about Antique Roadshow. It is not, though. We actually ended up watching an episode last week. Oh, girl, I know. (laughs) We share an account, lest you forget. 
<laughs> I know what you're, I know what you're is, into. That's funny. Um, we were trying to pick something, and I was having I was very exhausted, and I didn't want to think, and I was like, "Can we please watch Antiques Roadshow?" <laughs> and Chris was just like, "Yes, yes, we can." Yes, we can. Um, so it was a great episode, actually. Um, actually, what I had to talk about was. It's stupid and it's dumb and it's very me and thank, I'm very thank God I get very you're I get on this very podcast. Excited. I get very excited about stupid, dumb, old things. And I just needed to announce to the public that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is getting the four K Ultra H D treatment. Oh Lord. Yeah. Very I don't excited. think that's dumb. Also, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is still very highly regarded, is it not? I or is oh, it forgotten? Is it forgotten like, by this generation? Kids, do you know? Do you know who framed Roger Rabbit? It's totally forgotten by this generation, but I think with this re-release, it will get more of the due it is owed. Um, like it's one of those movies, very much like Jurassic Park, that has aged unbelievably well. I mean, there are obviously they've made leaps and bounds, but but for the time and even while watching it now, like it's pretty seamless. Um, so the, and they've got a bunch of stuff that they're putting out with it. They're doing like filmmakers audio commentary, which I'm never actually that into. Um, and then there are three Roger Rabbit shorts. There's a deleted scene, um, they're behind the scenes, like making of, um, Kate. Yeah. You're making me do it again for the youngs who framed Roger Rabbit is a movie from the late eighties that was notable at the time because it was sort of a. Is not satirical, like it was a noir in the classic sense, but featured a blend of like cell animation and live action, where you yeah. would move between the real world, Los Angeles, and Toontown, which is the place where cartoons live. And what was notable at the time, you know, this is way pre Ready Player One, like all the cartoons were in it. The Warner Brothers, the Looney Tunes, the Disney cartoons, yeah. the Hanna-Barbera shit. Like, it was all in there. I don't know what kind of corporate Mickey wrangling. Mickey was in it, I'm pretty sure. M- Mickey yeah. and Bugs shared the screen yeah. together. Yeah. They had a scene together, which was unheard of at the time. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Caitlin is correct. It was, I mean, you can see the wires to a certain extent in this day and age. But, I mean, for the time and what they, what they were dealing with was very well yeah. done. And it's a movie I, as a child, saw... God, so many, times. <laughs> so, so many is the is the easy answer. Definitely saw it in a theater twice, which is one of like only a handful of movies I've actually done that with in my life. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a good time and probably still is. Yeah, and I've seen it recently, so I can I can attest to that. <laughs> well, do you, do you know where this is airing? Where this is going to end up? Um, no, I think they're they're I think they're just it's releasing as an actual like. DVD. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I know, which doesn't happen. <laughs> Physi- physical media. Um, Good heavens. Physical media, which, funny enough, going through my my DVDs, which I had that were downstairs in the basement <laughs> and I never saw, um, I was like, you know what? There actually are some things I would like on DVD in case the world ever does end and I don't have access to streaming anymore. <laughs> So I'll let you know how how that goes, everyone. So, so what did you watch that wasn't Antiques Roadshow? 
Um, not a lot. Obviously, the moving has impeded my ability to sit in front of the TV for hours and hours. There's been a lot of watching Chris play Conan. Um, and for most people, they're probably like, oh, that's boring. It was not. It was actually really interesting. Um, and my and having my mom watch him play Conan. And her oh just kind of like totally, totally, well, not like for long periods of time. I just wanted to show her. She's never played a video game in her No, she, as she said, she corrected me. She's like, no, I have. I played Pac-Man. <laughs> I was like, okay, mom. She's never played any of the type of games that, you know, were like very formative to my early years, childhood, early 20s. Right. Um, I don't even think she's watched that many. I think I played Planet Side 2 for a little while. Um, and I think she watched me a couple times play that. And she's like, oh, it's so violent. So I wanted to sh- sh- like have her watch Conan to see, yes, it's violent. But there's also some say. <laughs> well, like there's a lot of stuff about building in Conan. Like you can build palaces. It's actually really interesting. It's almost like there are three games going on in Conan. Um, but anyways, so... Like, there was a lot of that, which Conan can be very interesting. Again, the building aspect of it and being able to tell Chris to be like, no, this thing needs a fountain. Like, just <laughs> like more fountains, more brazers. Um, that that was that was fun because I was just like too tired to like press buttons. That's how exhausted I've been. Um, and I will talk about this in the second half of the show, but. I was going to watch some things, but maybe the thing this week impeded that. We'll get to that. Um, And then I have been watching, though, uh, a lot of Crash Course, and in particular, Crash Course American History. Crash Course, I've brought up before. It was started by, yes, it was started by, oh, Green, uh, John Green who, and his brother, um, and it started with Crash Course American History and then World History, and it just exploded from there. Um, they've got everything under the sun. They've got economics, chemistry, and this newer um, series called Crash Course Black American History, um, and with hosted by this um, historian named Clint Smith, and it's a really interesting look at Black Mar- American History they do start from uh, the slave trade, but it's very done in a very different way, uh, a different lens. It's very informative and very interesting. And especially with what's going on in this day and age, I'd say take a look. It's always interesting to get more, I guess, con- like uh, viewpoints on history. We know that we're not taught. Um, we're taught like a very white Western viewpoint in where at least we're from. Uh, and obviously the United States is having like a fucking meltdown over like, maybe we shouldn't just talk about white people. And everyone's like, ah! um, anyways, take a look. All the stuff's really great, but that one in particular is very well presented. And that, that was about it. Well, all right. One yeah. thing, adjacent, one thing I didn't watch this week, which does need to be brought up is we all know, I've talked about it every freaking week, and the question just becomes, Jordan, did you watch all the Ava movies this week? And the answer this week is no. And the reason for that is because I 
I feel, I mean, obviously, I can't just watch the fourth one. I haven't watched the first three in God knows how long. And I think I watched a janky bootleg of the third one in the first place. So, I mean, I got, I got, I got to start from jump. I got to, even though yeah. I know the first movie is just literally a recap of a, you know, TV show. I watched 4,700 times. I still, you know, whatever. Um, and last night I was just like, well, let me just size up what this is going to require. <laughs> um, and, so I hopped on the old Amazon. So I know Kate was watching Antiques Roadshow. I was like, let me just check the run times on these. Cause that's going to be like freaking nine hours of my life. Um, and I go and I check the first one and it's only like a hundred minutes long. And I go, Oh, okay. That's not that bad. And the second one was like the same thing. And then the third one, I was like, Oh my God, I can probably just bang this out on my next day off. And then I went to the, I was like, how long's the fourth one? 153 minutes. That's three hours. Y'all. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I went, oh, damn. <laughs> you just made it all up on the back half, didn't you, Anno? Um, So, yeah. It's still going to be a... <laughs> maybe by uh, maybe by the end of September, I will be... I finally checked out the end of Rebuild of Evangelion. And, should be noted as well, also on there is the NHK documentary about Anno and the production of the movies, which I'm, like, low-key probably more excited to watch. Um... <laughs> But I don't want to know anything too much about the movies. I've had some shit spoiled for me, but I don't want, to know, don't want to know too much. So I haven't just watched that documentary. I feel like it's probably very similar to the classic NHK documentaries about Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I'm curious. I, I mean, I don't really, really don't know much about Anno for a guy who's made a lot of work that I've greatly enjoyed, whether that was Nadia's Secret of Blue Water or Ava or Shin Godzilla. Like, he's made a lot of stuff I've liked, but I really know nothing about him. So, aside from, like, you know, the stuff everybody kind of knows, whether it was his struggles with mental health or things like that. Um, so, I'm, be, I'm, ex, I'm excited to get into that as well. Um, I think Kate and I may have had the same problem, which we'll talk about in the second half of the show, which is why we didn't watch uh, too many things this week. But one yeah. thing I did want to call out was so I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I buy manga now apparently and one of the things I bought was this heretofore untranslated collection of Osama Tezuka stories right. um this being the god of manga you know the the Japanese Jack Kirby who he's Loki better than you all know it um there ain't one Kirby pose in a Tezuka book that's all I'm gonna say nobody's just pointing off at the sky um <laughs> With with their fists at their side, just like eh, point, PowerPoint, <laughs> PowerPoint. Um, uh, Kirby, Kirby, uh, we wouldn't be here without you. But I mean, just from like a dynamic sense, I don't know. Tezuka always did it for me more than Kirby did. Um, and I was talking to the homie Meg at work, who also brought us the thing we are watching this week. So Meg is just knocking it out of the park. And I mentioned I I got this, and Meg was like, "Oh, have you ever read?" this thing and i said no i never have so meg's like oh i bought this thing once a while back and it was really good and ne- when you get back from vacation let me know when your next shift is and i'll, I'll bring it for you and i said all right bet sounds good and i forgot and then meg brought it anyway meg just knew when i was gonna be well, back at work nice and of- brought it to me that was uh, nice of meg yeah meg, meg meg's good people um so what i was brought was this giant two doorstops of a book Two of them, volume one and two, called Message to Adolf. And this is a late era Tezuka work. Uh, came out in the 1980s. Um, 
I believe it was his first attempt at keeping a weekly deadline, apparently. Apparently this ran weekly in uh, some newspaper, news magazine or something. Um, And it's amazing (laughs) thus far. It is political thriller slash um, like buildings Roman kind of stuff. It's basically, it's called Message to Adolf. Because it's the story of three Adolfs, uh, a young half-Japanese Jewish boy, a young half-Japanese German boy, and the other one. And (laughs) set during World War II, past World War II, and also features a, like, you know, threading through it is, like, this journalist who's, he's covering the Berlin Olympics, and his, you know, brothers in Germany on a, you know, cultural educational exchange, but he ends up joining the communists and he gets murdered and, you know, weird SS Nazi stuff is happening. And, you know, every time he tries to find anything out, it's just a dead end. And he ends up having to get ganked back to Japan. And then that's when his story ends and you move into the story of these two boys, but the things with one of the boy's parents ties back to the stuff in Berlin and Japan with the reporter. And just like, it's not like Brian K. Vaughn level of like narrative threads, but I'm always just kind of like, Oh, all right, cool. Like this is still going down this direction. Um, the one thing from the book I did, the book I bought of the short stories that I did read was basically a story about a guy who is super racist and he's going back to, um, the family of someone he served in the war with, um, because, Like I said, he's super racist and basically he ends up getting a heart transplant from their son and he just can't deal with the fact that he's got a black man's heart inside him. So he like is trying to destroy any evidence of it. Um, And ultimately he comes to, you know, like learn love and then gets like beaten and murdered because he was a dick on his way in (laughs) to the to the building to meet this soldier's little family. It's heavy handed. You know, the, the liberalism is heavy handed in these. Um, when you bear in mind, this was like a, you know, 60 to 80 year old man who was making these in Japan, like one of the most homogenous societies in the world trying to talk about race relations. I mean, good for you, good for you for trying, but (laughs) your heart was in the right place, but it was a little clumsy. Uh, Message to Adolf is just really great so far though. And, uh, greatly enjoying it. The problem is vertical press. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a cube of a book. It's just, it's very, how many freaking pages is this thing? It is volume one is about 650 pages and that's thick. That's thick with two C's, two C's. And it's basically just got Hitler's face on the front. (laughs) (laughs) You need one of those like book cover things for people who don't want people to know they're uh, reading romance novels. Or like on my math textbook when I was in grade school, I need to make one of those like paper bag covers. Like (laughs) this is a little rough uh, at the laundromat. It's like, it's not an endorsement. I swear. (laughs) It's a bold, bold cover design choice. Friends, we got to put a pin in it here. So when we come back, I think, if I'm, if I'm putting my money down, we might have to have a very enthusiastic conversation about a program called The Owl House. Will it be enthusiastic? I don't know. But we'll find out when we come back from this break. show where we talk about the thing we brought each other mm-hmm. and this week 
like Jordan said, I think it's going to be an enthusiastic conversation. But before we have our enthusiastic conversation, we need to talk about the rules. There are rules. Because as we have mentioned before on episodes, we can't just descend into complete chaos. Listen, and it's teetering all the time, y'all. It's a, it's a fine it's, line it's to walk. barely holding on most times. So we need to impose some sort of structure on this. The first rule is the rule of three, is that if the thing comes in parts, episodes, uh, chapters, we will consume three of them. So the thing gets a chance to become the thing it is trying to become. The second rule is hashtag save it for the pod, which is we do not talk about the thing before we are sitting in front of these microphones. Mm -hmm. And the third rule, which isn't really a rule, is just a a policy, is that there will be spoilers. So if you're the type of person who's like, I don't want to know anything about this and I haven't seen it yet, for God's sakes, go watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hurry up. Hurry up. We're not going to wait for you. So pause here, watch it, come back. Uh, Friends, this was brought to me by the aforementioned Homie Meg, who brought me a message to Adolf. And also mention this, because I was just espousing my joy at a little program called Gravity Falls, which Caitlin brought to me last year and was my number one thing that I watched last year. I adored Gravity Falls. We both adore Gravity Falls. Just I had finished it at the time, I think. I had, I had still been, like, drawing out the enjoyment of Gravity Falls. And when I finished it, I was talking to the homie Meg at Major Canadian Retailer. And Meg said, you might like this then. And basically, it's, it's another Disney show. Another show from the Disney Animation Umbrella. And this is called The Owl House. And The Owl House is an American animated fantasy television series. Created by Dana Terrace that premiered on the Disney Channel on January 10th, 2020. So, relatively hot new new. The series stars the voices of Sarah Nicole Robles, Wendy Malick, and Alex Hirsch. That is a name that is probably familiar to you. If you watch Gravity Falls, he was the creator of that show. And also, the partner of Owl House creator, Dana Terrace. Not that it's important, but... It's just fun. It's just fun. A little fun, little fun thing to know. Um, in November 2019, the series was renewed for a second season prior to the series premiere. Uh, when the second season premiered on June 12, 2021. In May 2021, the season, series was renewed for a third season consisti- consisting of three specials ahead of the second season premiere. Later announced to be the final season of the series. So this is going to be two full seasons and a handful of episodes, uh, specials consisting, comprising, rather, the third season. Uh, the Owl House has been highly praised by both critics and audiences and has become particularly notable for its LGBTQ plus representation compared to other Disney media, including becoming the first Disney property to feature a same-sex couple in leading roles. The series also won an award for children's and youth programming at the 2021 Peabody Awards. What is the premise here? Luz Noseda is a teenage Dominican-American human girl from Gravesfield, Connecticut, who accidentally stumbles upon a portal to another world instead of going to a juvenile detention summer camp. That's a little harsh. They were calling it conformity camp. Um, (laughs) She arrives on an archipelago known as the Boiling Isles, formed from the remains of a dead titan, and befriends the rebellious witch Eda Clawthorn, alias the Owl Lady, and her adorable demon roommate King, despite not having magical abilities. 
Luz pursues her dream of becoming a witch by serving as Ida's apprentice at the Owl House and ultimately finds a new family in an unlikely setting. Um, Kate? Yeah. The show's fucking great. It's great. I accidentally watched the first season. Okay, I only watched half of the first season, but... Um, Rule of three was not a problem this week. No. So what... I need to start because initially, the first two episodes, I was like, it's good. And I was like, but, you know, I'll watch the third. And I wasn't like, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It just, I was like, you know, it's it's good, but it's not Gravity Falls. The, the Gravity Falls comparison is unfair ultimately it is unfair it is, is unfair it is much more fantasy based it's not as stupid as gravity falls <laughs> no and i think we like stupid because like, we're stupid yeah and I, I say that as a compliment like it's not a, it's a yeah. smarter show than gravity falls because it doesn't just have Kristen shawl voicing an adorable character going around going boop boop like that's <laughs> It doesn't have a pig, you know, it has King, but it doesn't have a pig. Although I did wonder if some of the things maybe that it was poking fun at, maybe it is stupid just about other things like the flowery language of YA fantasy books or, you know, things like that, um, that aren't necessarily my frame of reference, but I wondered if there were things that tickled your frame of reference a little more than they would mine. Yes. And well, also... Okay, so so that was, like, two episodes. And then I was like, Caitlin, how long did you give? Like, how much... I couldn't really remember when I started watching Gravity Falls. Mm. If... I remember the first episode being like, yeah, it's good. But I remember, like, that first three, four episodes when I was like, oh, this is really good. When it shifted gears, yeah. Yeah, and... and uh, Owl House, one of the things I really like is that they don't rush the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, and you think it might go somewhere and it doesn't, it doesn't really. um, And so I, and I actually ended up really liking that about it, but definitely. So I watched third episode and I was still like, oh yeah, like this is good. And then fourth episode, I was like, oh, this is, this is really good. And then fifth, and then all of a sudden I'm like at episode 18 and I was like, Oh yeah, this is a good time. Yeah, see, I think you're making the point that I noticed as well, where it's just like, holy shit, they go down easy. Like, yeah, I know it's a kids show; it's not supposed to like you know super be super challenging, but like, it's just a good and hang. You like being there. You like seeing what they're going to get into. Like, and Paw Patrol, bes- like to the side, um, kids have it so great with TV these days. <laughs> Like, the, the, it just, the writing's really clever. The characters are a ridiculous amount of fun. It's not the same, like, it, epi- it's not the episodic like it used to be with, like, Shira, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, where there's no actual change in the characters of the story. Yes. Um, they do a really good job, again, like Gravity Falls, of, of having sort of episodes, but it, it flowing to a place. Um, and... I and it's leaving it's leaving breadcrumbs like every episode seems yeah. to, to leave another little breadcrumb about the world, whether that's the you know which school I think the last episode I saw was the witch con where yeah Edith's sister shows up there's there's an emperor 
There's the Emperor's Coven, you know, um, this kind of like military rain. police. <laughs> Boiling rain, yes. Boiling rain. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, and just like all the, I'm sure all these things will come to be more important, whether it's the political aspect of the world or Eda's curse or like, they just spring, like the whole Eda's curse thing just kind of gets thrown out there. Like they call her the owl lady because she, she doesn't remember how, but she got cursed and turns into this like, you know, horrific monster, which is really kind of freaky yeah. looking. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a whole mystery there to unravel similar to like, you know, again, you, you hate to keep going back to the comparison, but I mean, the first episode of Gravity Falls, you see a Grunkle Stan go downstairs and it's like, what's going on there? Yeah. Or like the weird and gl- glyphs and stuff. They, they don't reveal all their cards, right? Mm. They just give you they give you glimpses of things. There's actually something that happens in the first season that they never explain, and I'm I can't remember what episode it is, um, but it just it's this moment, and you're like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and you haven't got there yet, I'm sure, Jordan, but um, it's just and they and I, I'm sure they're going to explain it in the second season. Um, but they do not explain it in the first and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you're just, yeah. Um, and I love, I love that. Um, and I do love that even the bad characters have more than one dimension Mm. by and large. There is maybe one like mean girl that has like just straight up one dimension. Um, not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> and uh, if you've only seen three or four episodes of the show, like not the one you're thinking of. Um, and But really things are much more complex um, and people are more complex and have lots of layers. And yeah, I just, I the more I watched, the more I enjoyed. And I'm re- I was really excited that there was a second season. Um, and I'm hoping that the second season, it's the kind of thing, again, they did with Gravity Falls where... Um, you know, she knows where that she wants the story to go. Right. And it does not need to go beyond there, which is sad because when you start hanging out with people and by people, I mean, cartoon characters, <laughs> Fictional characters. and you, yeah. And you're like, Oh, I don't want summer camp to end right? because you know, they, you're having a good time with them. Um, and you care about them and you, you know, it's really interesting. For me, I probably had two moments where I was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be here for this to, you know, whether I binge it all down in one shot or I just, you know, take my time with it, but I will see it all. It was, so, you know, the, the contrast in the first episode is basically, yes, Luz is a very, Luz is a very weird, uh, kid at school. Um, yeah, has trouble concentrating, you know, trouble focusing, kind of go, likes going off in her own little worlds, obsessed with fantasy books and things like that. And basically, Ida uses a magic door type of thing to send her. Was it, is it the top of her? Uh, the top of her cane? Is that what it is that she uses to? Yeah, her the top of her staff. Okay, um, staff, not cane. Um, yeah. To go and steal like human treasures that she sells on the uh, on the boiling isles, and you contrast that. So that's how Luz gets there. And sorry, I'm remember, I'm remembering other jokes from the episode now. Uh, <laughs> and 
basically you end up at what what do they call it the conformatorium or something whatever prison where they put uh yes Ida's whole thing is like she doesn't obey the, there are certain rules and strictures that you're supposed to adhere to if you are a magic practitioner and she's kind of like meh fuck it I do what I want um yeah and so they're like constantly trying to get her and catch her and put her in the conformatorium and when you see some residents of the conformatorium <laughs> who are not conforming properly and one of the one of them is the girl who writes fan fiction about food yep. I was like. That's an A-plus joke right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. And also the stupid one-liner about where uh, Luz's first task is to go, like, sell potions in town. <laughs> and she's like, well, what do these do? And Ida gives some, like, lame excuse. <laughs> and Luz goes, so snake oil. And Ida just goes, no one likes a dry snake or something like that. <laughs> no one likes an unoiled, unoiled snake. That's what it was. So you sell snake oil. Nobody wants an unoiled, unoiled snake. <laughs> It's like, it's probably true. Um, yeah. Super fun. Uh, Alex Hirsch, duh, who is, you know, from Gravity Falls, is Grunkle Stan and a bunch of other voices, does the voice of King, who is the, like, adorable skull-faced dog <laughs> sidekick in the show. Notable fact as well, Meg was coming through with the fun facts about this show. He also does the voice of the house itself. The house is kind Oh, of- Owl? Hootie? Yes, Hootie. And yep. the, uh, the, you know, pop-up video, uh, factoid about that is the voice he's doing was originally just like the scratch track of him doing the worst Mickey Mouse impression he could possibly do. <laughs> and Dana Terrace thought it was so funny. She left it in and that's the voice now. And, and what's great about that is at, even as it goes on, like everyone hates Hootie and I kind of just adore that just like everyone's like shut up leave Hootie alone and he just he just wants a friend and they're like no and he, every time they go on like an adventure he just like packs a bag and has like sunglasses on his camera he's like okay ready to go and like they slam the door and leave him behind uh, and then was, it, was, it, was it the moonlight conjuring one where he's like finally I'm included <laughs> yeah he just wants to be included y'all um <sighs> Maybe it's the age group we're working with. She is probably a little older than Dipper and Mabel were, um, as well as some of the subject matters. Um, yes, there will be all the queer content you need coming um, as the relationship between her and one of the other characters uh, becomes a thing. I believe, adorably, this was confirmed on Twitter where the first scene it happens, which I haven't seen yet, but um, there. Did you get to this? Is this in the first season? They had to dance or something oh, yeah. and it was really awkward? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're really awkward and embarrassed type of thing. And somebody on Twitter tried to pull the old, like, you know, there's no heterosexual explanation for this. And the guy who, like, storyboarded that was like, no, there really isn't. And they went like, Wah! oh, my God, it's a Disney show with gay people. Um, so I'm excited to see how that all plays out. I'm excited to see how it follows the, you know, Disney animation two season uh you know formula of just kind of like having fun and hanging out and setting stuff up and then things start to ratchet forward a little bit in the second season um yeah it it really it really does and i'm not again like it's so unfair to compare things but because they're both on disney and they are this sort of like weird world and it does that same kind of you know you're hanging out then all of a sudden there is it things get more complex um it is like that with Gravity Falls. Like I mean, there is listen by the end, there's a lot of mystery and stuff going on that you want answers to. 
the opening credits are practically shot for shot, like very similar honestly, aesthetic. I've I have listened I have I have listened to every single episode's opening credits. Like <laughs> I love the opening credits of this show. I don't know what it is. It it, it does have the, the song is like I basically cannot tell the song from the Owl House and Gravity Falls <laughs> Apart. And I just, I love it so much. I don't know why. I just, I watch it every single time. Chris tried to skip one, and I was like, don't you dare. I, I, will, I will shake the shit out of you. Um, yeah, I'm excited to, it was a real easy hang, and I never had yeah. a bad time. Um, like, I went, way, I don't know where, what episode number I got to, but I was like, I'm stopping because I'm going to sleep, not because I don't want to watch more. Like, and I will yeah. watch more. It, it'll be my dinner show. It'll be like, it's dinner time food's ready you need something to watch while you're eating and it's going to be owl house perfectly honest i'm just going to keep keep rocking with this um solid eight right now for me for where i am i'm at in the show it's i'm gonna say it's a nine for me where i'm at which is the end of season one so there will surely be updates about this as we go along um do you recall how many episodes were in the first season i believe it's 18 it's not terrible maybe 19 Again, it's that thing again where our brains are ruined now by YouTube and Netflix. So it's like, I will watch the next 10 episodes of, you know, the Owl House. But the idea of starting a rewatch of the Ava movies at 90 minutes or something is like, oh, I don't have time for that. What? You want me to sit here for 90 minutes and watch something? God. This is why our brains are all soft now. (laughs) Well, not mine because, of course, I watch long-ass PBS historical dramas we need to find out what the value of that brick is or soup ladle or whatever they're bringing to the road show it requires it was scarves the episode i watched scarves fantastic yeah yeah friends this is on the d plus if you've got that in your life by all means check it out and get at us on twitter.com slash geekdownpod let us know what you're thinking of it it's probably one of the most Highly recommended. I know we've been on. I was about to say it's the most highly recommended thing we've had in a while, but we've had a good. We've had a good run. We've been recommended a bunch of stuff lately. So if you've watched any of it, Reservation Dogs. I don't remember what else. We've only been back for a few weeks, but let us know. Let us My know. brain has holes. <laughs> Our brain has holes because I only watch like twenty-five minute episodic <laughs> television and you know forty-five seconds say you subtitle videos. So that's. That's all it is. I'm, I'm amazed. You expect me to read this, you know, 900-page manga? It's going to happen, and I'll be amazed when it does. But friends, if we've recommended anything that you've been enjoying, let us know. Twitter.com slash GeekdownPod. And we will be back next week with we don't know what. But, uh, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. I'll take it for the team. We had a recommendation. We always welcome recommendations. It's unfair to me to say we welcome recommendations and then be like, eh, when I get one. Next week, we're going to check out Bo Burnham's Inside. I believe was the comedy special he made during the pandemic confined in his house. So we will check that out. I hope it does not give me PTSD, but fingers crossed. It'll be fun either. It'll be a fun hang either way. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for an hour and change every week in these uncertain times. It truly means the world to us. My name is Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. There you go. I don't know why I thought you were going to say that part and i hope you will join us holes or no holes for another fantastic episode of the geek down podcast 
it's Carl. What are you yelling at today, Carl? Oh, Carl. Just look up, and Carl's looking disapprovingly oh, into the parking lot. Hey, uh, what, are you kids oh, doing? what are you kids doing over there? <laughs> uh, trying, to sh- trying to shave my toes over here. <laughs> <laughs> 